Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is now 8.07 here at WCCO. Welcome back. You are listening to Steel Talking. I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. I am so excited to interview Dr. Sean Dowdy. Now, who is he? Well, he is professor and chair of the Division of Gynecologic Oncology and a fellowship-trained gynecologic oncologist specializing in ovarian, uterine, and cervical cancer and complex benign gynecologic surgery. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, sir. And then his, his bio just goes so much further. He's wonderful. He's trained. He is smart, brilliant doctor and I am so grateful to have him on tonight to talk about Mayo Clinic and the successes that we have been hearing about. Welcome sir. How are you? I'm great. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so we know that we're hearing that Mayo Clinic, of course, has always, it seems, been the best in Rochester, right? We had kings and queens come far and beyond just to be at Mayo Clinic. Yet there are 11 hospitals across Mayo Clinic um, that receive star ratings from the CMS for overall hospital hospital quality. That in itself is remarkable. Um, when you guys heard about these statistics, were you surprised at all? Well, this is really the culmination of a great deal of work we've done for many years. So, um, you know, we're always holding our breath a little bit when these rankings come out, but um, not that surprised just given the amount of work we put into this and just the dedication of the staff. Yeah, we're talking about five stars for you guys, and we're talking about, you know, other hospitals that are good hospitals, no no doubt, but they've earned, you know, less than that, maybe three, four stars and that sort of thing. So I'm, I'm sure many people are talking about it. As you hear it and you look at your career at Mayo Clinic, what do you believe has really kept or helped buoy Mayo Clinic up as it keeps moving forward and giving so much more information and finding new ways for cures and et cetera. How do you, what would you say is one of the main things that made this happen? Well, of course, there's many things that influence that, but I think the driving force behind the CMS stars rating that you're talking about, as well as the, the U.S. News ranking is really, um, it's really our primary value that was established over 150 years ago by the Mayo brothers. And that, that primary value is that the needs of the patient comes first. So we strive not to just become, you know, number one in U.S. News and World Report, but to be a category of one in healthcare. So I see our top hospital ranking as a byproduct of our culture and the hard work we do every day to provide patients the, the care that they expect and they deserve rather than an end to, unto itself. 
One thing that um, I noticed when we were taking our mother to Mayo Clinic for a mini test, and every doctor, every doctor showed empathy and care for her, tender care for our mother. And we, you know, some of us were in tears. We talked about it. We were like, my goodness, what is it about Mayo Clinic that is so different from the other clinics? Is there training to help doctors know how to um, have that empathy and to really care? Or are you just hiring doctors that know it already? Well, I'm glad to hear that you had that experience. But, yeah, I, I think we do hire the right people. That, that's one of the reasons that, that we perform as well as we do. Um, but a lot of it does come back to the culture. I mean, I, you lead by example. You follow others around you. And so I, I think, like I said before, a lot of this just comes down to the, the culture of Mayo Clinic and, and everybody that, that we work with around each other. I remember many years ago, um, I worked for Group Health, that is now Health um, Health Partners, and I remember, you know, hearing about different doctors and different hospitals, and you know, people would talk about it and go, "Oh, yeah, that that hospital's no good." I never hear that about Mayo Clinic ever. And I'm just wondering, what is that star moment? Is it that the um, the patients have been trained to know when you go there, you know, allow the doctors to really tell you their truth, tell you exactly what you need to do and listen? I don't know if it's a um, something that you put together with both sides, the doctors as well as the patients, because it is just remarkable. If anything happened to me, that's where I want to be, is at a Mayo Clinic uh, to service me, I, honestly. So... If, if there is, um, as the future moves forward, and we know that Mayo Clinic is absolutely remarkable today around the world, then what happens? Are there other hospitals now that are training to try to learn exactly what it is um, within those ingredients at Mayo Clinic that works for them? And maybe it'll work for these other hospitals as well. Well, I hope so. And, and to be clear, you know, Mayo Clinic is not the only hospital in the country that provides excellent care, but I, I do think that you've hit on one of our biggest differentiators, and that's patient experience. And, you know, if you look at the top, let's say, 30 hospitals in the U.S. News & World Report ranking, there are only three hospitals that are in the, the top uh, 10 percentile as far as patient experience. And it's no coincidence that those three hospitals are Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida. So just as you said, you know, caring for patients has always been more than just about diagnosis and treatment. It's about the human touch that you described, about providing hope and empathy and compassion, and also trying to do everything that we can do to provide equitable care in a country with a lot of disparities. So those are all the many challenges that we face in providing the, the care that our patients deserve. So when we talk about the star ratings measure, um, how they're measured, it's five broad categories. Um, mortality, safety and care, as you just mentioned, uh, readmission. I'm curious about that. Can you tell us more? Yeah, there, it's actually a fairly complicated system um, that looks at both quality and safety and, and some elements of experience as well. Um, there, there's, I believe, five domains and many parts to each of those domains. So it's a lot to keep track of from a data standpoint. Uh, but we measure, monitor, and prove all those metrics within the CMS star ratings, as well as something called LeapFrog, which is centered on patient safety, and then HCAPS, which is uh, centered on patient experience. So if we look at all those things, 
then we have a, a nice multi-dimensional perspective of all the different parts of care that, that we provide to patients. You know, patients come in, including myself, we come into a doctor um, or hospital, and we really have great expectations. And so sometimes mm-hmm. people will give it a bad rating if they take an essay or um, um, I'm sorry, not an essay, but if they have to write something about the doctor or choose what they thought about that doctor and the care that they were getting, it's amazing mm-hmm. how people will just change and say, well, I didn't get all of that. I didn't get everything I thought I was going to get, so I'm going to mark it as poor. And what mm-hmm. we find out later on is that, no, 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 it wasn't that you were um, you had bad service. You were not clear on what it was that you were getting. And maybe we're not asking the best questions to make sure that we understand what the doctor is doing for our health. If that is true, then how do we start to have a conversation to know what to ask? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I think we need to have better dialogue with the patient even before the appointment. So that's one thing that, that we do make a great effort at is to, like, for instance, when I see my patients, my nurse will often times uh, call the patient before the appointment to make sure we understand why they're coming to see me, what the expectations are, what challenges they're facing, uh, to make sure that the records are all in order so that they don't show up and we'd waste their time because I can't make a decision without records. Um, so I, I think that's really important that we have a dialogue with our patients so that we understand each other, that communication is extremely important. Another thing in my history, I found um, when one of the hospitals I would go to often, anytime I got sick, I felt very comfortable there. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. they started building more and more hospitals, and the, the service became less. We, we, I didn't receive the type of service and care initially when I was going to that one hospital, and then all of a sudden I was sent to other ones just like it supposedly, but it wasn't like it. And that has mm-hmm. to be a challenge as well, even for Mayo, Correct. Absolutely it is. And, and that's one of the things that, that we're very careful about is we want to make sure that all of our patients get the same excellent care regardless of which door they walk through, whether it's in Rochester or Scottsdale or Jacksonville or, or, uh, or Mankato or La Crosse. We want to make sure that they have the same excellent care, the same human touch, and that we are making the same decisions and treating them the same way in all the different hospitals throughout the Mayo Clinic health system, not just in Rochester. So a lot of people know about Mayo Clinic in Rochester. I think they, there's probably less is known about the other Mayo hospitals, but we don't look at those hospitals as acquisitions. Uh, we really look at that as the same enterprise, the same health system where we're providing the same care to all of our patients. So the, no one is considering at Mayo Clinic, did we overdo it? Did we, you know, build too many uh, offices for Mayo Clinic? Everyone's in lockstep saying, yep, this is the right way to go. Absolutely. And we, we've set up a lot of processes and structures to make sure that we share information between hospitals. You know, it's not just Rochester that's doing things well. We learn things from other hospitals as well. And so, you know, I talked about that dialogue with the patient to make sure we're communicating. We also have a dialogue between the different hospitals, between the leaders and the physicians to make sure that we're learning from each other as well. Are you also, as a doctor and all the other doctors at the Mayo Clinics, do they also have to fill out a document and people have to say, hey, I agree with this doctor, I don't like this doctor? So they are actually deciding if you are worthy of being at Mayo Clinic. Does that happen? Yeah, well, that's that's one of the things that's reviewed at our annual reviews. So, so all the physicians have uh, a meeting with their department chair, and that's one of the metrics that is looked at is patient experience. And that, in my mind, that's one of the more important things, actually. So we're, we're actually absolutely held accountable for that. 
I am so grateful that you joined me tonight. I, I couldn't wait to hear how this all happened and to, to be so proud, you know, here in Minnesota and beyond that Mayo Clinic is this successful and so are you. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. If people want more information about um, how we got to these numbers, is there an essay that we can pick up online or is there something, uh, a document that we can all look at closer to really understand these metrics? Uh, that's a little bit complicated. Some of these metrics are, are quite, quite complex. Um, I don't have a document that, can, that you can refer to. Some of the, the methods are in PDF form if you look at uh, CMS stars or U.S. News and World Report. Um, but we can certainly uh, get something to you if, if you have interest in that. Well, thank you again, sir. It was a pleasure having you on. You too. Thank you. All right. That is Dr. Sean Dowdy. And of course, he is professor and chair of the Division of Gynecologic Oncology and a fellowship trained gynecologic oncologist specializing in ovarian, uterine and cervical cancer and complex benign gynecologic surgery. Remarkable. There's so much I don't know. It's amazing when you are in the presence of people who know so much, especially about the body. I have a, my oldest granddaughter is so curious about how do you fix this? Why does the body do this? What is, and I buy her books as often as possible to help her start to learn at the age of nine what it all means. And um, to know that these doctors have it, really quite remarkable. I, I never wanted to be a, a, a doctor. I just wanted to be a great parent. So hopefully I'm getting to that point. All right, Jonathan, we're going to take a break and we'll be back in a moment. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time 
Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. My goodness, I so miss that voice of Whitney Houston. Welcome back, everyone. It is now 824. Now, you heard me mention um, earlier, if you were listening to this conversation with Dr. Dowdy, Dr. Sean Dowdy from the Mayo Clinic and their successes, as we are, um, you know, really saying to them congratulations. But we did mention 11 hospitals across Mayo Clinic received star ratings from CMS for overall hospital, hospital quality. I want to let you know what CMS is. CMS, okay. Hey, Geraldine, you <laughs> make sure you pull that up, dear. <laughs> CMS um, is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. I guess, uh, again, I want to say Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS. And the ratings provide patients with information about several dimensions of quality. And that is one thing we know about Mayo Clinic. They do have several dimensions of quality. Also, I want to let you know that Mayo Clinic is a nonprofit organization committed to innovation in clinical practice, education, and research and providing passionate expertise and answers to everyone who needs healing. Just visit Mayo Clinic News Network for additional Mayo Clinic news. Again, that's Mayo Clinic News Network for additional Mayo Clinic news. Hey, Jonathan, I tell you, what they're doing is so remarkable. Have you ever been to the Mayo Clinic? Have you ever had to go? I've never had to go, and part of me, it's it's kind of a double-edged thing. Because part of you says it would be interesting to go to a place like that and see why it's become so renowned, why it's become so cutting edge, so so far, not necessarily ahead of everybody, but in a lot of ways they lead the way for hospital systems, not just in this country, but for many around the world. And so it's world-renowned. it's world renowned. And so there's it a... There's an intrigue there to say it'd be nice to see, it'd be cool to see what they do and, and how they research and all that stuff. On the other hand, I'm very lucky that I've never had to be there because that means that I have something that is not good inside yeah, of my exactly. body. Exactly. And when you look at the list of things that they that they actually treat, the conditions that they treat. Um, I, of course, we know it's cancer and, and all types of cancer and, and um, certain pregnant, pregnancies and endometrial uh, cancer and endometriosis and germ cell tumors, ovarian cancer. I mean, you can go on and assist. Um, it, it's so deep and long. Many people say, if you can get to Mayo, you can get to healing. And that is not true for everyone. I actually have a dear friend who went to Mayo Clinic to try to find out how he could heal. I mean, his this accident he was in was just terrible. And they weren't able to do anything for him. They really weren't. They did not really make a difference at all. But everyone else I have talked to that have been to Mayo all agree that it is a remarkable place, a place of healing, a place of learning. Uh, and then there also has to be uh, an understanding with the patients that you have to accept um, some of the news that comes down, and that's not an easy thing to do. But, boy, are we really fortunate. And my dear friend, I just wish, I wish, if you're listening, honey, I wish, I wish, I wish they would have had better news for you. 
but he has got the personality and smile that just makes the sun light up everything. It's just beautiful. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited that I had a chance to actually interview a doctor of this um, stature that could really tell us about the Mayo Clinic. And by the way, Jonathan, the Steels performed at the 150th anniversary for the Mayo Clinic, and there was a queen of, oh my goodness, Oh, what country was she Wait a minute. From? Where did, did the queen come? Was it Queenie? Was it Queenie? <laughs> queen Elizabeth Good. was Queenie? No. <laughs> no, no, not her. I can't remember what say, country she perform, was from. Did you perform before outside of Buckingham Palace? Come on. <laughs> you know, that is not something I desire. When I think about singing and where my voice goes, you know, I, I never, ever think about singing in front of kings and queens and, and um you know, these really important people in the world. But my sister Javita has sung for two presidents of the United States. I'm and, telling you, know, you y'all, y'all, yeah. y'all should go across the pond, do, do, do a show at Buckingham Palace. You'll have that place swaying. There ain't many people <laughs> that go to Buckingham Palace that can get that place swaying. The orchestra will be set up and ready to go. We won't sing one note, I'm sure. <laughs> Mm-mm. I can't imagine Mm-mm. the queen to say, yeah, bring those steels in, bring them in. Oh, but I do I believe, oh, yeah. yeah, I do believe, though, she would enjoy some of our music. I really do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Buckingham Palace Swain. Be in all the tabloids <laughs> tomorrow. I'll pay you if you can show me a picture of Queen Elizabeth Swain. Please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jonathan, I know we got to take a break here and uh, actually do some weather. So, um, you know, take it away. Welcome back, everyone. Now, this half hour, we are going to talk about foreclosure prevention. Have you heard about that? Especially in the black neighborhoods. And they're taking on Minnesota's racial housing gap. Well, tonight's conversation on race is brought to you by YMCA of the North. YMCA is committed to discussions on racial equity and inclusion and being a leader in social responsibility. Our guest tonight is Catrice L. Williams, Director of Wealth Development, and she's joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Welcome, Catrice. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jerlyn. It is an absolute pleasure. It's my pleasure. Um, the, 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 this news that's come out, it says an, an uneven pandemic recovery, along with inflation, is fueling concern about foreclosure activity. In Minnesota, there is a push to ensure households of color do not suffer the same fate as they did after the 2008 housing crisis. You remember that. Uh, nonprofits providing housing assistance say the crisis had a devastating effect on black neighborhoods in particular. Um, with you joining us tonight to talk about this as Director of Wealth Development for the Urban League in Twin Cities, and that you have said it was felt in such places as North Minneapolis and East St. Paul and widened, widened home ownership disparities in the region. This is so real, and so many that live over North Minneapolis, including myself, can feel how stifling this is for our communities. So where do we begin talking about this? Because we've been talking about it for a long time. Have you been seeing a change? A change, yes. A change because there is so much more access to knowledge. There are so many so many resources available to families and families of color particularly. And as Minnesota's homeownership gap has risen to, you know, national notoriety, it has really shined a spotlight on us to kind of get our act together. 
Yeah, so where do we begin getting our act together here in the great state of Minnesota? Well, it, it first starts like admitting there's a problem. Admitting there are systematic <laughs> barriers. Forgive me for laughing, Catrice. We know that they know this. We talk about it all the time, it seems like. And where do we start now? We, yes, in our communities, we've been talking about this problem for decades. And the fact that homeownership has, the homeownership has, has declined in the black community since the 50s. It got to about, what, 46% in the 50s, and it has just declined decade over decade. And it, it's systematic. However, now that we are gaining national notoriety because Minnesota now has the second largest homeownership disparity between white and black families in the nation, it is making people wake up. It's making people wake up. And as far as like where we start, we really start with education. We start with um, financial empowerment. We start with changing, um, changing policy and changing lending guidelines and addressing the systematic barriers that have affected our people for, for generations um, and their access to capital and wealth. And I know that free financial counseling has has been offered so many times, so many years. Um, I've been in Minnesota for 44 years, and it's quite remarkable that this problem persists and grows, right? Um, But will will we even understand it? Will people that come for the support to say, hey, I want the financial counseling, will they truly understand the language of financial counseling and wealth-building tools? That is why nonprofits are so important on the financial empowerment journey because we understand like we understand the problem and through a cultural lens and we understand that most people who come through our doors aren't bankers they don't understand what an APR is or what an AMI is or any other the any of the millions or countless I'm sorry any of the count any of the other countless acronyms or bank jargon that may be used and we approach things from a cultural lens. So we try to talk to you in a language that you understand. We let you drive the process. The pace of your counseling and your empowerment goes at one that you drive. So yes, it is like it it is important and it is it is impactful. You know, you start talking about mortgage mortgage um and how they go up and down, those numbers go up and down, you know. Do you have a secured uh, mortgage where you pay the same thing until you're ready to move and sell the house, or do you not? Do you have this APR that goes up and up and up? It's just so confusing. That is my biggest challenge. How do we start to educate? How do we start to give the news to the people who are really interested in buying a home, you know, giving them the right, uh, the access to the understanding of the language that's being uh, used? It's like an attorney. You know, you go to here or to meet an attorney because you have something you need done, whether it's your will or whatever. Well, their language is not going to speak to everybody, right? <laughs> you know, I remember having to look up. I used to carry a dictionary with me all the time, and I would look up words if I couldn't understand it, right? Don't be embarrassed by that, folks. Carry a dictionary Absolutely. if you need to because you need that to understand. in your pocket. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's There you go. You got your dictionary in your pocket. There you go. Okay, so where do we begin? How do people say, I'm going to call? I'm going to make an appointment and I'm going to go in and see if I can get a mortgage. 
I'm going to well, go see if this is going to work for me. Honestly, this is a Catrice-ism. It is not an Urban League-ism. It is not a standard policy. Start with a nonprofit. Start with, Start a, nonprofit. with a nonprofit. Start with a do nonprofit. You have any, do you have any nonprofits to suggest? The one at the top of my list is Urban League Twin Cities. <laughs> of course. Oh, they, they do a great job. <laughs> Urban League Twin Cities. There are, there are tons of us in our community that have dedicated housing counselors. Start with a HUD certified counseling agency, um, whether it be Urban League Twin Cities or PRG or PPL or uh, Model Cities or Build Wealth Minnesota. Any of those nonprofits, dial their numbers. We all offer homebuyer education and our homebuyer education classes are taught by industry professionals of color. So you are going to get this information in a way that it is palatable to you in a, in a setting where you can ask questions, where it's a safe space, where we tell you when you get here, hey, don't be afraid to ask that question. The person sitting behind you may have that question and may be afraid to ask it. Ask it for them. And you get it. You get this. You get this education from someone who looks like you, who came, who has probably grown up in a place similar to where you've grown up who is passionate about advancing black home ownership and home ownership for families of color in Minnesota, whether you know, it's a realtor or a mortgage loan officer or an insurance agent or an appraiser, an inspector, all these people come in and volunteer their time. So they're not here to make money. They're here to advance black wealth. Okay, so Bill Gray, director of uh, stakeholder relations for the Minnesota Home Ownership Center, said that mm-hmm. promoting such efforts in affected areas will hopefully, hopefully, hopefully prevent foreclosure spikes. That doesn't sound um, promising to me. Is it that we're always hopeful, which is a good thing, but when you put it out there like this and people hear those kind of words, they get discouraged, right? They know they're in for a fight. Is the fight getting um, s- slower? Are we not, uh, are we advancing more so that we don't have to fight anymore? Are we, are we winning? I would love to answer that question with an affirmative, but it, it is a, it, it is a fight. It is a fight. And as a people who have survived kidnapping and the middle passage and 400 years of slavery, it's not a fight that we're not capable to fight. It's not and a fight that we're not capable to fight. It's not a fight. It's not a fight that we're not that we're ill-equipped to fight. It's not. And hopefully, in Bill's words, hopefully, at some point, we will get we will get to a place where this fight doesn't have to be fought anymore, where we will have broken down the systematic barriers that that keep us from being able to attain wealth, so that we have the knowledge and the tools at our disposal so that when a recession hits, when a foreclosure crisis happens in our nation, that we are not hit as hard as we were hit in a way. Yeah, I understand that. At the same time, we know, you and I both know, that those numbers can change so fast when they're getting a loan, uh, when they're getting a mortgage, and they say on one day, oh, we, we can definitely get you this loan at this low number. You come back two or three weeks later to finalize some things, oh, that's not available anymore, and all of a sudden, it's sky high. It's really frustrating how it's done. It almost, it's, it ought to be illegal, 
you know, for the families to have to go through this. I, I get very frustrated about it. It breaks my heart. I've owned two homes myself, and mm-hmm. it's really hard today, specifically um, for those that want to find a, a, a small condo. Or It's just so tough for anyone in the BIPOC community to get it done. So then what should we do next? Well, that circles back to... That circles back to knowledge, and I would add another piece to advocacy. Um, that is why I am. A, that's why I will shout from the rooftops. Start with a nonprofit. Start with a nonprofit. Start with a home ownership counselor who can be in your corner to help you navigate this process, and you know, help you choose the right realtor, help you choose the right mortgage loan officer for you help you choose the right program for you. Here at Urban League, we are launching an African-American community land trust, which is pretty much, which is geared toward families who fall between, who are below 80% um, annual, or I'm sorry, average median income. And it is a program to help stabilize, um, stabilize home payments with affordability gap um, support and deferred maintenance support. So we can make home ownership and affordable home ownership something that is sustainable in our community. Oh, how I hope that you are correct because it, you know, it's not that I'm losing hope, but I have to tell you it's slowing down when it comes to home ownership because the rules keep changing by the people who can change it, not by those who want it changed or those that need it changed. Um, and so if that's the case, I, I find it painful to think about what it will take for more families to get into their own homes. But I'm hopeful. I am hopeful. So do you have any other thoughts about this that you want to share with me? Um, nothing other than, again, this is a, not a fight that we are not, that we are not equipped to fight. We are a resilient people. And, you know, even though resilience is a great quality to have, um, at some point, you do get tired. At some point, you do get tired. But hopefully, you know, we haven't lost our vigor and we haven't lost our zeal yet to make sure that as we fight, we we affect the change that we want to see in housing policy, in the home ownership, um, the home ownership numbers here in Minnesota that will make home ownership a an attainable possibility for our grandchildren and wealth building the standard and not the acceptance of the rule for black families in Minnesota. I read that the fact is if you're paying full market rent, full market rent, you can mm-hmm. probably afford a mortgage. Absolutely. It's there are 84,000 84, mortgage affordable black families in Minnesota. 84,000 84, mortgage affordable black households in in Minnesota. But they can't qualify because of what? It's not necessarily that they can't qualify. It's not necessarily that they can't qualify. And if they can't qualify for a mortgage, there's, there's, there's probably minimal work that they could do to be able to qualify for a mortgage. That's why it's so important that you start with your nonprofit. If you, and, and, and a lot of it is mindset. Like a lot of people don't know that home ownership is a possibility or they don't understand that home ownership isn't as it isn't as 
far away or isn't as hard of a goal to attain than they think. Okay, so you own a home, correct? I do. Okay, so I I mentioned the fact is that you're paying full market rent. If you're paying full market rent, you could probably afford a mortgage. You could probably afford a mortgage. Right, it's just qualifying for that mortgage that's a problem. And you and I both know qualifying is everything. If you don't qualify, then no mortgage. That's it. And that has to change. There has to be an opening somewhere that allow families that are not making the kind of money of, you know, people in the, this community that are white um, that can or Asian that can afford a home over here. No problem. Put down whatever they need. But mm-hmm. there are families that are ready. They're ready to buy it. They're, they're paying attention to what you're saying. They're paying attention to what others are saying. But if you don't qualify, then that's game over. Until that you try why, again. That is, that is why starting with your nonprofit is so important. When you sign up for homeownership, when you sign up for homeownership counseling with a nonprofit, mm-hmm. we pull your credit. We pull a tri-merge credit score. So we pull the same credit score that a banker would pull if you were to go in to apply for a mortgage. We take a look with you. We, our, our counselors are HUD certified. They're certified by the, by the, by the Housing and Urban Development Department in the United States. So we can look through whatever your financial picture is, help you set goals and attain those goals so that you can be ready. You can be ready the next time that you go sit down across from a banker to apply for, for, for a loan. Right. And I, and I have to tell you, Katrice, okay, excuse me for interrupting because we're running out of time, mm-hmm. but um, bottom line is I hope to have you back on again. And I want us to have this conversation on again. And I want to invite two other people and let's do a panel discussion. I hope you're Absolutely. up for that because we're sure going to contact you for it. So Catrice L. Williams, thank you so much for joining us. She's the Director of Wealth Development. I look forward to meeting you. All right. Likewise. Thank you so much All for right. having me. Okay. You have a good night. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going to take a break. And coming up is uh, our 9 o'clock hour. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, our 9 o'clock hour. Center stage is coming up. Woo. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 